So let's, uh, we'll get moving into our Bible study this evening. And thank you for those of you who were with us last week for coming back. And for those of you who did not know I was going to be on, well, too late, you're here. So do you ever, you ever have those, I guess it's not too late, you could get up and leave and I would understand. Uh, the gentlemen are handing out notes and don't panic. Yes, I know it looks like a lot. Don't worry, there's a whole nother packet still to come. Uh, there's... Do you ever have those moments in, in football? They have uh, every Sunday, they'll after the week before, they'll have what they call the come on man. And they'll look and they'll be like, you know, someone made a, a bonehead play and they'll be like, come on, man. Did you ever, you ever have those? You ever have those with, with your family where you're just looking at your kid and you're like, really? Come on, man. This is not, you know, and we've all probably been there where we get that, that look from an authority that it's like, wow. Well, I remember in college, we, uh, we were in a, Sharon and I were in a choir together. That's actually where we met. Uh, she was the pianist. I was one of the singers. And I didn't like the pianist when she first came because I liked a different pianist. But that's a whole nother story. And if you ever want to know it, you can ask her. She does not like to tell it. Um, but we, I remember one time we were on choir tour. And we had this thing. Our choir director was Dr. Ledgerwood. And he had this thing called a ledge look. That, that's what we called him. When we, were in, when we were standing in our choir, we were supposed to be always looking at him, always unified, presenting, you know, that we were all singing together. And if we were not looking at him or if we were doing something else or if we hit a note and we were all over the place, he would be directing and he would just do one of those. And he would stare right at you until he caught your eye and then you looked and then you knew you're like, oh boy. And that was his, come on, man, what, what are you doing? Get with the program. We're trying to be unified. We're trying to do this, do the same thing. Well, I remember there was that April, it was April 1st. And uh, there was this, this senior in the group, I won't name his name, but he's standing in front of you. Um, he decided that he wanted to pull a practical joke on Dr. Ledgerwood in the middle of a concert. And uh, so what we did was at the beginning of all of our concerts, we would always march in, everybody on the same exact sides. We would come up, we would all be standing. And then we would do this whole thing where we'd sing our very first song. And then after our first song, we would introduce like what states we were from. And he knew exactly where everybody stood and he would point right to those people. Well, what I decided to do was, hey, everybody, let's do something different. Let's do a different first song. Well, in order to do that, I had to convince the pianist that that was okay. That didn't take too much trouble because we were dating by that point. She really liked me. So I said, hey, we should do a different song. And she went for it. But then we got everybody else to come in on the different sides. And we started doing this. And all of a sudden, Dr. Ledge, the song was wrong. And he was like, he's looking around as he's leading. And he covered himself okay. And then when he did this thing about introducing everybody, he points here for like Pennsylvania, but the person from Pennsylvania was over there. And you could just see him starting to do this in the middle of the... And finally he just stopped and he's looking. And he was completely befuddled for the next three or four songs. And what I did not realize that we had done was just completely disrupted the unity of that service. And I was, I was thinking it was great, it was great. I got the biggest ledge look I've ever gotten in my life. Jeremy, you got ledge looks too, didn't you? You know it. Yeah, he was in our choir as well. And uh, I remember him coming back afterwards and he didn't even ask who. He went right to me. I don't understand that. <laughs> Came right to me and says, what just happened? And so I explained it to him. And after we all settled down and got the air cleared, it was, it was pretty good. But I have to think sometimes when we start talking about what Christ calls us to in disciple making and the great commission, and we do our own things and we're going all over and just thinking we'll do this and we'll do that and we'll just sort of, you know, do hodgepodge stuff. Does he not send, tend to look and go, come on, I, I gave you the pattern. I gave you some things to do and I want you to do them. 
And I, I don't want a big ledge look from God saying, Art, I told you what you should be doing in your life. I need you to do it. So as we look at the Great Commission, as we look at our responsibility as believers to make disciples, what does God call us to be doing? Some review from last week. We, uh, we talked about that it's not natural for God's created beings, that's us, and especially as new creation, to not be reproducing. We are to be reproducing believers. And we talked about how we are to do this institutionally as a church. We are to do it situationally in the everyday aspects of life. A person comes around, we should be prepared to share the gospel. And we're to do it relationally, building relationships with people, intentionally building for the intention of sharing the gospel. And so as we look at our lives and we look at how we're functioning in our lives, in our Christ-centered living, are we sharing the gospel to make disciples? Are we doing it in a way that is honoring and pleasing to God so that I'm not getting a, come on, Art, let's go, but, but doing it. As we, as we talked last week, summary truths, Christ is still building his church. Matthew chapter 16, he says, I will build my church. He's going to continue to do it. Since we are part of this ongoing fulfillment of scripture, as pastor mentioned, we are the disciples of the disciples of the disciples of the disciples of the disciples and so on and so forth. And we are part of the fulfillment of scripture that we are continually to be going out and making disciples. We need to fulfill our mission by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The supernaturally natural method he has chosen is for Christians to be making disciples. That is what God has chosen in his divine plan to be doing that. The divine strategy of transforming the world for Christ starts with our Jerusalem. It starts here. We can be excited about missions, but we need to start here. We need to be about intentional missions here. Intentional disciple making as a body of believers. And we can do that. We know we can do it because that's what God calls us to be doing, and he doesn't set us up for failure. We are sent, Matthew 28, with his authority, with his presence to go into all the world, and lo, he is with us always, even until the end of the age. So it didn't stop with the disciples. It didn't stop with the early church. He is still present with us, going with us, and we go with his authority and his power into the world. We are divine agents with the divine message of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, we are to be going out as ambassadors of Christ with the message of of reconciliation, bringing people to right standings with God. As church leaders, we talked about Ephesians 4, we have a responsibility to be equipping you, to help you carry out your ministry, that ministry of reconciliation and other ministries. So we are going to be functioning and focusing on doing our best to to be working to help train you. As pastors, we are to fulfill, to train, to equip. Disciple-making is a job that is never done. Second Timothy 2.2, the things that I, you have learned among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And the implied is that they can teach others also, that they can teach others also. So this doesn't stop. This is what we are to be doing for the next generations at Faith Baptist Church. And we can be doing that. We need to be making disciples. Believers, especially those who've been saved for a long time, Hebrews 5, we are to be teaching others. We should be to that point that you're able to teach others. So we ended last week roughly at the point where he said, our goal is to glorify God by creating disciple-making disciples. You are to be a disciple-making disciple. I am to be a disciple-making disciple. And I'm to make a disciple that becomes a disciple-making disciple who becomes a disciple-making disciple and try and say that 10 times fast and not get it messed up. But you can do it. We need to be disciple-making disciples. My question is, does the New Testament give us any general model for a disciple, what disciple-making might look like? I believe it does. Now, I believe that the, 
he, I don't think God laid it out specifically. Here are the four points of disciple, disciple making. And if you do them, because in every context, in every situation, some things are going to work differently than in, in other places. The things done in a church in, in Chicago or New York are going to be a little different than a church done here. And as we go through, but the principle, the core truths are still the same. So let's go to Second Thess- or First Thessalonians chapter 2. As I was reading through this, this was a, one of the passages at one of the uh, seminars and conferences we went to, and I was reading through again, looking at this passage, and it was, it was really challenging to the idea of how Paul interacts with this, this group from Thessalonica. Now, as you remember, Paul and Silas, they leave Philippi in Acts 16, the Philippian jailer incident. Afterwards, it's really rough. They get out, and they travel then to Thessalonica to proclaim the gospel. And as they get there to Thessalonica, they're going to be about the gospel presentation. They're not just there to get away from persecution and suffering. They're going to look and they're going to say, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you, it was not in, not in vain. It, it was worthwhile for us to come to you. And as Paul reflects back on his time with the Thessalonians, he's going to, to highlight that there was a, a relationship that was developed between the Thessalonians and Paul and Silas. How do, how do we know that? Look in verse 1. He talks about um, you yourselves, you know this. You're, you're well aware. Verse 2, he, he's going to highlight again that we were persecuted in Philippi as you know. Uh, down in verse number 5, he's going to talk about again. For we never came with flattering speech as you know. He's like, you watched how we talked. You watched what we did. And you knew this. And he, he highlights verse 11. He's going to um, go back to just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging. And then in, verse, in verses uh, 9 and 10, he talks about, you recall, you saw this, you saw what we were like. You were witnesses to what we were doing and how we were teaching. All of this is implying that there was not just Paul came in and just preached the gospel, but there was a relationship that was developed with these believers. They knew what Paul was about. They knew what Silas is about. They watched how they interacted. They watched him as uh, verse 9. You recall how they were, they were laboring day and night. They were working hard. He said, you watched us. He said, you, you notice uh, in verses 7 and 8 how we proved to be gentle like, like a nursing mother, how we were kind, we were respectful, we were patient with you. They, all these different aspects, the picture that he draws is how we cared for you. It was not simply a, hey, we're going to go in there, we're just going to slam them with the gospel and we're going to leave. He said, we're going to develop a relationship. He said, these are, um, all these imply close personal observation that they were watching, that the, the unbelievers saw Paul, they saw Silas, they saw how they interacted and, and they watched that. Notice the relationship dynamic, verse 7 and 8, as I was starting to allude to. He says, but we prove to you, be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having a fond affection, they were well pleased with, um, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. He doesn't just say we're about the gospel. He says, we wanted to, to be part of your lives. We wanted to be investing in you. And so as we look at disciple-making, it, it is strongly based on relationships. Now, it does not end with relationships. And we don't just hang our head and say, all disciple-making is and all evangelism is is relationship because it is not. It is completely insufficient if we stop with relationships. But he goes on to, he goes on to talk about the next one. He says, there was a conversation or a proclamation of the gospel. Down in verse 9. He talks about, you recall, brothers, my hardship, my laboring. Uh, we were working day and night with the burden. And then he says, why? We proclaim to you the gospel of God. 
He said it wasn't just enough to end with the one. He's like, we are proclaiming the gospel, having a conversation with it. It wasn't enough just to have a deep relationship. And we cannot, we cannot buy into this trap in American philosophy of church growth that, hey, if we just have really good relationships with people, they'll just see Jesus and then they'll want that and we'll leave it at that. We cannot stop with just relationship. We must have conversation. The gospel was connected to who they were in all their parts of life. Verses two and four is going to talk about the opposition that they faced. And yet in that, they shared the gospel. The friendship that they had in verse eight, the the relationship, the conversations, they still shared the gospel. They were working, they were weary, they were tired, and yet they were still about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to, we, we are completely connected to the gospel. If we are in Christ, then we must be about continually showing that in our daily lives and not just showing it, but then sharing it and telling people about what Christ has done that we can say, hallelujah, all I have is Christ because he has reconciled me. He has redeemed me. He has bought me with a price and I am able to tell you about what he did. He talks about that there was a foundation. There was a foundation laid for the future. In verses 10 through 12, he's, he's going to highlight your, your witnesses. In other words, you can testify to this. You can see back. And so, God, how devotely and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved toward you as believers. He said, you saw how we lived. And he says, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. So now he goes from the mother motif to the father motif, but he's talking about parenting and how he's helping them and working with them and encouraging them and strengthening them and building them. Why does he do this? Verse 12, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He doesn't look and say, hey, conversion was great. You got saved. You heard the proclamation of the gospel and that's it. He said, no, I want to help take you beyond that so that you can walk worthy, walk the way that God wants you to do. And as we look at disciple making at Faith Baptist Church, we need to be about not just, okay, we get a person saved and great. We're excited for that and praise God. And we don't want to diminish that. And then we just let them go. The mother and father picture here. As I mentioned last week, as a mother and father, none of you would do that. You would not go, all right, today's his birthday. We'll give him a year, okay? After year one, we're going to send Zach on his way. I'm not going to do that. But yet, a lot of our discipleship models in America do that. They look and say, hey, 10-week program, get them through, and then send them on their way. 13 weeks, we'll get them through. But disciple-making is about investing in a life, for a long time, possibly for a life. And that's okay because you're investing in that individual. We're to be teaching and admonishing so the new believers would walk in a manner worthy of God. And so he, he lays the foundation. And then he's like, there, there was an assimilation. There was a movement towards something of beliefs and actions. The Thessalonians accepted the word and lived it out. Notice down in verse 13 and beyond. It says, for this reason, we also constantly thank God when we receive the word of God, which you heard from us. Excuse me, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you, you accepted it, not only as the word of men, but for what it really was, the word of God, which performs it in verse 14, for you, brethren, became imitators of the church. 
you began to take the word of God and live it out. And you began to be part and mimic the church and act like the church and living that way. And that's what we want to see happen. Not just to build a relationship with somebody, not just to have a conversation about the gospel and Lord willing, they get saved. Not just to simply, okay, we took them through a a Bible study, but then to see them assimilated into our body of believers, to be strengthened together and then strengthening us because as they become part of our body, we are a body fitly joined together, strengthening one another. So as the new believers come in, they're strengthening us and we're strengthening them. And we're continuing to grow, as Pastor alluded to, that unity that so many different parts can become one. How does that happen? That happens through good, sound disciple-making and discipleship. Our goal, as we said, is to glorify God by creating disciple-making disciples. We want to be doing that. So as we, as we look, we want to, we mentioned last week, we want to encourage p- disciples to personally be involved in disciple making. I want to encourage you. You want to encourage me. We as a staff want to encourage you to say, let's be about personally making disciples. To not just look and say, we're just going to do it institutionally. We're just going to do it in a public fashion, but we're going to do it individually, personally. We are going to do it in a way that is public, that we are still involved in those programs that we, we will design, the, the events that we will have, whether it's VBS or Neighborhood Night or uh, the reenactments or an Easter service. We're going to have gospel presentations publicly. That's what we're called to be doing as a church, so we're not going to, to shun that. We're, we're to be um, presenting... The batteries are dying on this thing. There we go. To prepare disciples to... Uh, to uh, situationally be ready to share the gospel. Pastor John, can you go get me two AAA batteries? Thank you. It's yours. Okay. All right. Never mind, Pastor John. It's got new batteries in it. All right. To prepare disciples to situationally be ready to share the gospel. We need to be ready in our lives, no matter where we're going at any time. How can we be doing that? And, and to be honest, one of the reasons that we struggle with that is because at times we don't know what to say or we're afraid to say the wrong thing. So we want to be developing workshops and opportunities and classes that you and I can take to strengthen us, to, to give good materials, to get them into your hands, uh, to be doing that. We want to see individuals become disciples of Christ. What are we trying to do? We don't just want to strengthen ourselves, although we want to be strengthened and grow deeper. We want to see other individuals outside of our body of believers become disciples of Jesus Christ. We want to help disciples to become grounded, to know the word of God. And as they know the word of God and they grow deeper, their outreach will go out further and further. We want to train individuals to uh, be disciple-making in their disciple-making ministry. So as we look at some of those goals from, from our standpoint as a staff, saying we want to encourage you to do that, we want to encourage us to be about those things, to be about making disciples, to be about grounding ourselves, to be about training and, and going, going forward in our lives, to see new disciples join our church. That's a whole process that as Second or First Thessalonians lays out, we start to see that. So, so what does it look like? We had this diagram a little bit last week. We talked about relation. Relation is that we are going to be building those relationships with people. So what does that look like in a relational or a situational type evangelism? Remember, we talk relational, situational, and institutional. 
How do we, how do, we do this? We're going to be developing relationships. We need to develop relationships with our relatives, with our coworkers, with our employers. We need to develop uh, relationships with our community, with our, those people we do hobbies with. We, we should be about developing those relationships, not just to have friends, but to have friends who we can also intentionally share the gospel with down the road. As an institution, what are we going to be doing? We're going to be developing relationships with our community. We're still about that at Faith Baptist Church. We're going to be doing the neighborhood nights. We're going to be doing the canvassing, the bounty boxes, having opportunities to interact with one another uh, in, in those ways. You got a new one for me? Let's see if this one works any better. There we go. All right. Then after, after the relationship, as we start to build those relationships with, with each other, with other people in our community, we want to be moving it toward the gospel. Not just having relationships, but relationships that present the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's a fine line sometimes. If you postpone moving to a conversation with, with salvation in the gospel... If you go for a couple of years and you know, I'm just building this relationship, building this relationship and building it, and now after five years I muster up the courage to say something, the person could very easily look and go, why did you take five years to tell me something that's so important? So we have to look and say, okay, how long? And if I'm about Christ, shouldn't they know that I'm a believer? They know I go to church. They know I'm about Jesus, so that's okay. But we do want to build relationships, start conversations. How do we do that relationally? Taking the opportunity to share the gospel. Doing it with individuals and where relationships are forming. We want to look and say, okay, as, as individuals, we want to look for opportunities to hand out tracts. Why, why hand out tracts? One, it keeps, as we mentioned last week, it keeps it before you. The idea of evangelism it keeps it present in your mind. A track can go where you can't go. There's a lot of times you can hand a track and it can get passed and it can get passed, but it's still getting the seed of the gospel out. There's great ways to, to be doing that and to look for opportunities to share the, the gospel through handing out tracts. It, it, look for those opportunities where God providentially provides an individual for you as you're talking with someone and you're just feeling that prompting. And you're like, wow, why do I really want to talk to them about the gospel? Hmm, I wonder why. Maybe it's God saying, hey, talk to them about the gospel. Or they bring up something about church or they bring up something about religion. Don't back down from that. Take that as a providential working of God at that moment. God has uniquely put you in that place for that moment, possibly to redeem that time for that individual. Now, that's nerve-wracking because it might be in the middle of a giant. But if you're in the middle of a giant and for some reason you're, you're looking at something and somebody randomly starts talking to you about church and Jesus, let's go for it. Let's take those opportunities in our situations in life and share the conversation of Jesus Christ. We do it as an institution. We're going to provide opportunities to share the gospel. We're going to have the VBSs. We're going to have the final Fridays, the reenactments, the banquets, the picnic in the park in June. We're going to, have a, we're going to just rent a pavilion over at South Hills, and we're going to have games, and we're going to have a, a church sort of picnic. But the design is to say, hey, bring some, bring some of your coworkers, bring some of your friends, and let's just have a, an enjoyable time. We'll share a brief gospel presentation, but an opportunity for us to interact with one another and to build relationships and maybe start conversations that move us into the gospel with, with your friends, working together with, with that in mind. We want to not just stop at that, that moment of the, the conversation. 
So if a person, you know, okay, you're, you, you figure it out. Okay, I built a relationship. I share the gospel. They get saved. We don't want to just stop right at that moment. We want to help them build that foundation to lay it, to take. So how do we do that? Individually, personally, you can take classes to help devo- develop your knowledge of evangelism. You can read a book, take, watch, a, watch a blog on, on TV or on YouTube or on, there's some actually good ones on the internet. Watch a video that's going to help you learn to share the gospel. Because we often say, well, I'm not sure how or I don't know what to say. But if I want to become better at something, what do I have to do? I practice it. I learn about it. I read about it. I invest time. And so if we're saying we want to be better at disciple making, we want to be better and we, we should be better at evangelism then the way we get better at it is by practicing, by investing, by reading, and we can all do that. Those are things that we can, we can do to take opportunities to disciple new people. As a, as a church, we're going to continue to provide training classes. We're going to continue with the Bible institutes and the Bible studies to help old believers like us, many of us who've been saved for many years, and new believers grow and strengthen themselves in Jesus Christ so that they understand and we understand what are the truths so that as we understand it, we can teach it to somebody else who can then teach it to somebody else. And we can do this. We can, we can learn those things and invest in people's lives that way. We want to develop those workshops that are going to help. We're going to have some different workshops throughout the year. Just 30-minute workshops where we sit and we just give you maybe how to, how to share the gospel with children or how to, uh, how to turn the conversation to spiritual things, how to still be a friend after they say no and what happens. There are different, different areas of the gospel that we can be talking about and strengthening and helping us to learn more about. Assimilation, bringing them into the membership, we want to be involved in outreach of the gospel. We want to see them become involved in outreaching with the gospel. Once they're saved, we want to be encouraging people to say, hey, go, let's, let's go. And how do we do that? We just say go, or we can say, hey, why don't you come with me? Let's go do this. Hey, there's, there's a Bible study tonight. There's this new FBI class. Why don't we, let's go take it together. You might look and go, I've already taken Old Testament survey, but the person you're discipling would really benefit from taking a class on Old Testament survey. Rather than just looking and saying, go do it, we could say, hey, come along with me. Let's take this together. Let's invest in one another so that we can continue to do that. Seeking to assimilate each other into the congregation as an institution. We're going to be about baptisms. We're going to be about church membership. We cannot, we cannot take discipleship and the church apart from each other. The church is God's program for seeing people saved. It is God's program for disciple making. And they, they are inextricably linked. So we keep that together. We say, let's go forward. Let's connect believers to ministry. So we, let's take a real quick, a, just a quick closer look at relationships. As we talk about in moving forward and building relationships, there's a number of scriptures I've given you there that talk about different individuals who went. The maniac is sent back to tell his friends what wonderful things and marvelous things that God has done. Matthew, after he gets saved, he goes, he has a party with his friends and he introduces them to Jesus. He has, he has a co-worker, his co-workers there with his friends, with his co-workers. And Luke, it's, it talks about, remember where Jesus is like, they're, they're, the Pharisees are bad-mouthing him because he's a friend of sinners and he's eating with these tax collectors. Zacchaeus does the same thing where he's going to say, he's going to bring people in and he's going to bring people that he knows. And it talks about that Jesus came to seek, to save those that are lost. They're about relationships with their friends, with their relatives, with their employers, with those around. Andrew's going to bring his brother Philip. Uh, Peter, excuse me, Philip's going to bring Nathaniel. The woman at the well, the, the situational evangelism opportunities pastor alluded to and talked about last week 
where Jesus took the situation with the woman at the well, but who did she go to get? All the people she had relationships with that she knew, all the townspeople. She says, hey, come, see this man who told me everything I didn't know or that everything that he knows that I did that you didn't know. And it's, it's amazing how she is going to take the relationships. Acts 10, Cornelius is going to call his relatives together. There's a definite pattern in Scripture where we see people bringing those who are close to them to Jesus Christ. Those are great opportunities for us. And yet, they're some of the most daunting because they know my faults. They know who I am. And yet, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I have to admit that. I can't look and go, well, yeah, I'm just, yeah. No, you're right. I have definitely had some faults and Jesus Christ has saved me and redeemed me from those. And he's changing my life and he's continuing to change my life. And I hope you'll let him do the same. And we look to have those opportunities to to talk to him. You know, there's a a passage that we're familiar with, Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew chapter 5, it talks about um, the, the salt and the light. And as, as I was thinking about it um, this week and dwelling on the idea, we, we know, we've sort of heard this idea of what does salt do? Salt preserves. It creates thirst. It'll cleanse. You know, there's all, there, and there's other ones that, you know, that people will, will allude to and talk about. But in order for any of this to happen, there has to be what? There has to be contact of the salt with the item. If there's salt on, the, on a table, it doesn't make me thirsty. It's only when it comes in contact with my tongue. The, the items that need to be preserved, they are not preserved if you leave them here and the salt over here. It has to have contact. The wound that would be cleansed, you need to put the salt in the wound to cleanse the wound. It is something that it must come in contact with. And so as we talk about being salt in this world, we must be coming in contact with those that need the salt, that need the gospel. The same thing's true when we talk about light. When is, when is light beneficial? When it's turned on, right? How about just the, the Bible, Jesus talks about when it's not put under a what? A bushel, when it is not hidden, when we open it up and we say, here it is. So if we're hiding the gospel light that is within us, then how are people going to know? We can't hide it under a bushel, but we need to set it up. We need to let it, let it go out. And what, what aids the person in, uh, in doing this and bringing a person to salvation? Do you, know, do you remember in the passage, it talks about that they may what? They may see, uh, verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. There's going to be a, an observing that they're going to see. If we don't have relationships with people outside of the church, outside of Christianity, how are those who need to glorify our Father, who those who need to get saved, how are they going to observe us? Through our closed doors and our shut shades in our house and we never let anybody into our home? Are they going to see us when we stay in our little cubicle and we're not going to talk to anybody who might not be a believer? No, we, we have to be about letting them into our lives so that as they see who we are and what really makes us tick, that Christ being the all-sufficient one drives my life and he gives me what I need and he is wonderful in, in a majestic way and he has redeemed me. We need that. First Peter chapter 2 Verses 11 through 17, and actually uh, from there through like chapter 4, Peter's, Peter's going to be talking. He's going to say, hey, 
There's, there's some things you need to think about in your life. And he talks about keeping our behavior excellent among the, the Gentiles. He says, as you're, as you're looking in your life, make sure that your behavior, how we live, our lifestyle, verse 12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, they may glorify God in the day of visitation. Peter, Peter says, okay, I want you to do this. Why? So that in the end, they can glorify, excuse me, they can uh, glorify God in that day. Now, the word that he uses there, observe, has the idea, the word is to have a long-term reflective look. It's not okay, they saw me once. But they have seen, these Gentiles are watching Peter or watching those who he's writing to and saying, we're observing how you handle yourself. How you handle yourself in relationship to government. Are you a law-abiding citizen? Are you one who is not hypocritical? He says, don't be putting the veil over, using your freedom to do whatever and then using a veil to cover it so you act like you're really good, but you're really not. They'll, They'll see through that. They see through our hypocrisy. And yet, hypocrisy is everywhere. But we have to be careful that we are not intentionally uh, being unholy and impure. We need to live righteously before God. We need to be honoring all people, loving the brotherhood. They, they ought not to hear. The worst, one of the worst things we can do is go to the, the, you know, the water cooler, the proverbial water cooler tomorrow. And be like, you would not believe what my pastor decided to say in church yesterday. And then you berate the brotherhood. Or you talk about the... the, the things that you don't like about the church. What's it going to do to a Gentile as they look and they hear about it and then you, but, but you really need to become part of us. We need to be really careful in what we say and how we act and where we go to fear God, to honoring the political leadership. You can go right through the passages and he continually talks about how are you talking about government? How do you, how do you work in your workplace in the master-slave relationship? What's your home like? What's your response in trials? And all of it flowing under this idea of having ourselves honoring our uh, living righteously, watching our behavior before the Gentiles. Why? So that as they see us in our lives, they can be excited and maybe want that relationship with Jesus Christ. And we want to be ready to share that, to present it. So in the idea of relationship, as we start talking about building relationships here, and and we don't want to stop and we will not stop in our evangelistic outreach with just relationship. But we need to be praying for disciple-making relationships, whether relational or situational. Remember pastor's statement this morning. He said, praying reveals your passion. Praying reveals your passion. Are we passionate about making disciples? If we are passionate about making disciples, then our prayer must be evangelistic prayer. We must be praying about people we want to see saved. We must be praying about those people who we don't know we're going to come in contact with, but God's going to send them. We need to be praying, Lord, send me somebody today that I can share the gospel with. We need to be praying saying, Lord, give me opportunities. And when they come, take those opportunities, as weird as they might be. But take the opportunities to to share the gospel with people. Lord, give me those opportunities. Lord, be with this individual I want to see saved. These people I I want to get saved. We want to individually build genuine relationships with our friends, with our coworkers, with our acquaintances, with the expressed intention of sharing the gospel. But what happens if they don't accept the gospel? We're still their friends. 
You should still be friendly with them. You should still have that relationship because how many of us, the very first time we heard the gospel, really accepted Jesus Christ? Not many. Some did. It takes time. So continue in those relationships with them. Establish a ground to converse about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to do. We want to establish those to demonstrate care and concern in practical, tangible ways. Not just saying, I, I care about you. One of the books I was reading said, why, why will your neighbor believe that you want to spend eternity with them in heaven when you won't even have them into your house for one meal? And I was like, ooh, that one hurts. But I look and say, you, I want to spend eternity with you in heaven. Yeah, it's so great. But yeah, don't come to my house. We need to be about building relationships with people. Now, there's some potential difficulties with this idea. We, we can focus so much on the relationship building that we postpone the gospel conversation. We need to be sharing the gospel. We need to get into the gospel. We need to be about sharing what Jesus Christ has done. You can do it a lot faster than you think as you build relationships. Don't keep kicking the can down the road. Okay, Get it done. Take the opportunities. We may not have relationships because all of our life is centered around church or centered around a Christian school, or just centered around believers. And so we have to intentionally look. You might say, I don't have time. If we are being about disciple-making, we are going to say we are about Great Commission living, and we are going to follow it, then maybe we need to take out our schedules, and we need to start carving out some time to build relationships and to be about sharing the gospel and to look for opportunities to do that. If we're going to say, this is a priority of God, this was the commission of God for my life, and I want to make it my first mission— then I need to make it a priority. Maybe some of the extra things that I like doing and want to always do, maybe I need to carve them back a little bit so that I have some time to invest in people who need the gospel and people who need to become disciples and to to grow in their disciple-making. One of the questions that comes up, well, isn't being a friend with the world putting me at odds with God? Because James chapter 4 says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. I'm going to be an enemy of God, and I don't want that. But remember, in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, and James chapter 4, it's not talking about being a friend of a person who's not saved. It's talking about being somebody who loves the world system, the things of Satan that are directly opposed to God, and, and loving those things and going after those things. It's not talking about loving the people, because if that's the case, if it's about, if it's about becoming a friend with sinners, we have a big theological problem because who was called a friend of sinners? Jesus Christ. So it's not that I, if I have unsaved friends, I am at odds with God. That's a great way for us to become isolationists. And if we are, we are about isolation, we're going to have the truth of a message, but we're going to have no audience. If we find ourselves on the other end of the spectrum and we become immersionists into the culture, we immerse ourselves into the culture, we have an audience, but we have no message. We have to find ourselves insulated. We need to be insulated. We need to be having friends who are in the world, who are unsaved, with our stands and with our beliefs and with our convictions and our standards. We don't have to give in to them. One of the very first things, just a couple weeks ago, started building a new relationship with a guy. And as I'm talking to him and we're going, he's like, hey, would you mind maybe after one of the baseball games, we can go out and grab a beer and we can talk about. And I just, you know, gracefully said, hey, I'd love to go out to eat sometime with you, but I'm going to choose, I choose in my life that I'm not going to go out and go drinking beer. And he's like, oh, okay, well, we'll go out to, we'll go out to eat sometime. Honestly, when I first had to do it, I was like, oh no, it's going to, here comes the big alcohol question. What am I going to do? He was, he was completely fine with it because there are unsaved people who don't drink. And so he was like, okay, no problem. But I don't have to indoctrinate myself and say, hey, yeah, let's go do this. I don't have to give up my standards and convictions of, and beliefs of who I am or what I do. 
I just have to live righteously, showing relationships and building gospel conversations as we go through. So one of the, one of the authors that was reading says, we just, a lot of times we just come to a point when everything starts working a little bit hinky in our computers and it's not working, we just need to reboot. You know, rule number one of IT, did you turn it off? Did you power down and did you restart? That's, that's rule number one, like let's reboot it. And as we look at our, we look at our lives, as we look at where we're at, what do we need to do with our, with our gospel uh, presentation and, and rebooting ourselves and going forward with this? Now, uh, gentlemen, can you hand out those next uh, ushers? Can you get those things? Thank you. There are a lot of challenges in our society. There's a lot of things that happen. You, you've seen them. Maybe you've seen the eating lemon with no expression challenge where they'll, you know, people put it on social media, they'll eat a lemon and they're trying not to make the face and they end up making all these silly faces. Uh, there was the mannequin challenge, it would happen. So, you know, when the Cavaliers won, they went to the White House and even, even celebrities were into this whole, let's pose and not move. And somehow we think this is really amazing and really cool. Uh, there was the, the ice bucket challenge where, hey, and some of you did this. Some of you put it on your social media and it's fine. It's not wrong. It's not evil. You know, you, you love doing it. But we like challenges at times. We want something. And so as we look at our lives and as we look at how do we start building relationships with the intention of sharing gospel conversations, we want to set out a challenge to us as a, as a body of believers. What can we be doing to create gospel-centered relationships that allow us to share the gospel? And so I want to, we want to talk about the one-to-one challenge. I asked you last week if you were here to come back with at least one person, at least one person who you would like to build a relationship with. That you say, I want to intentionally share the gospel with this individual. There may be, you may have more than one. You may have multiple. You may say, I don't have anybody yet. That's okay. But, but here's, here's what it is. The one-to-one challenge is, is basically this. The challenge is for the next however long. I really don't like to put an end on it because I think a lot of these things are to be our lifestyle. You know, but if we say over the next year, or the next year and a half, or the next two years, whatever it is, can we take the challenge to hand out four tracks a month? That's one track this week, one track next week, keeping it before us. Sure, if you want to do more, great. But, but let's start. Let's start with the reboot. When we reboot, we start, we start moving forward slowly and getting it rolling. Four tracks, four tracks a month. And this is, this is on that, you'll start to see it on this little, whatever color, you got blue, green, or purple. It has no significance whatsoever. Uh, there's a little thing there. A uh, little, little thing, a bookmark type piece of paper you can stick in your Bible, put on your fridge, put it somewhere. Hand out four tracks a month. This year, how do we get better at evangelism? We learn about it. Can you read one book, one book this year? One book on evangelism. I have a number up here that I can completely recommend. Uh, that are, that I'll have up on the front. What is the gospel? The gospel of personal evangelism, really good one. Evangelism for the faint-hearted, uh, concentric circles of concern, which some of you read, discipleship reboot, uh, a number of those, those different, different books that you can read through and say, I want to learn and read and get to know a little bit more about evangelism, not just expect someone else to do it and teach me, but to say, I want to invest this year, one book this year. We read lots of books on a lot of things. But if we're about Great Commission living, let's read one on evangelism, on disciple making. Take one class this year, 
one extra class on evangelism, whether it's a workshop, whether it's a Sunday school class we'll offer, whether it's a Bible Institute class we offer, whether you're going to go online and find an evangelism curriculum that you want to learn about and, and learn to do, intentionally say this year, I'm going to take one extra class or workshop in order to learn and to get a little bit better at becoming a disciple maker. We can do that. We can do one class. We, we can read one book this year. We can, we can hand out a track a week. And then the, the, last, the last one is what we're calling at least one. At least one is this. I asked you to, last week, we were, we were asking you to consider somebody you want to build a relationship with. So you want to build a relationship and you want to see this individual saved. Can you, can you develop at least one personal relationship? That's the goal in this. And then can you pray at least one minute a day? You might say, well, really, I can pray more than one minute. You realize if you pray one minute a day every day this year, you'll pray for that individual six hours. When's the last time we prayed for somebody six hours to get saved? But if we do one minute a day praying for that individual, I'll say, I'll say Bob. Okay, so I'm praying for Bob to get saved one minute a day. You might have three or four or five people. That's fine. But if we all have at least one, and we start praying and say, one minute a day, I'm going to pray for that person to get saved. One meal a week, you're going to fast, or if you're unable to fast, you're going to dedicate that meal to saying we are going to pray for the lost souls. For my individual, maybe for someone else's individual who I know, maybe for a number who I know. We're going to be praying for the other people who will be coming into our church that we can share the gospel with them. But we are going to dedicate one meal each week to praying for the lost souls. We have to be. The, the, the engine that's going to drive this is going to be prayer. We heard that this morning. It is to be our passion. We are to be about the mission of Christ. And we need to be praying. So praying one minute, praying one meal a week, Connecting with that individual, whoever you're into. So I'm going to connect with Bob. I'm going to connect with them pers- him personally at least one time this month. It could be I'm going to walk across the street and stand at his corner and talk with him for a little bit. I'm going to invite him over to the house for chess. Or we're going to go to the coffee shop. Or we're just going to sit down and we're going to talk on the front porch. Or I'm going to help him mulch his yard. Or I'm going to do something that's going to say, I'm going to intentionally try and connect. It could be writing a card. That could be the first thing. That might be the first step that you do. Saying, I just want to reach out to them and write them write them a card. But look to connect with them. Hospitality. I want to have them over at least once in a quarter. Now again, these are, these are not thus saith the Lord's. They're just practical things that as we put together, we're saying, hey, if we try to do these things, to build relationships with the intention of sharing the gospel, having them over, hospitality, at least one time over to your house. And if it, it might be a barbecue in the backyard, you might say, I don't want anybody in my house, so have them in the backyard. Do something where you connect like that. Invite them to church or an event that we're going to have here at least one time in six months. Because it's what it's doing is it's, a, it's stopping us from kicking the can down the road. Saying, all right, we need to do this. And we can do this. These are, all, these are all very simple steps that I believe we can do as a body of believers. And as we start working on them, watching how God can work, share your own testimony at least one time in the six months. I think you can do it. You're, you can very easily share how God changed your life and how he saved you from your sin. Present the gospel at least one time this year to your friend. I think we can do it a lot more. 
but we don't want to kick it down the road any more than a year. Let's be about sharing the gospel and telling them about what Jesus Christ did. And then I want to encourage you to meet at least one time a month with a prayer partner. We want to encourage you to say, hey, we need to be about prayer personally, but we need to be about prayer corporately as a body of believers. To look and to say, I need a prayer partner. The prayer partner is going to keep me accountable. Hey, how's it going with Bob? It's going pretty good. I got to do this and do that. And it, it helps us to, to sharpen each other. Well, how's it going for you? How's it going with Larry? Oh, it's not so going so good. Well, I'm going to be praying that it's going to go better for you. And we're going to be, we're going to be checking up on each other. Building and discipling and, and sharpening each other in this area so that we can go forward with it. And I, I want to encourage you to choose a prayer partner. Or if you don't have a prayer partner, ask us. We'll help, we'll help get you a prayer partner. Looking and saying, okay, we're going to meet before a service or right after a service. And we're going to pray for five or ten minutes. Maybe you'll go out for coffee and you together as a prayer partners will meet. And you'll share and you'll talk about where you're at in your relationships. Where you're at on sharing the, the good news of Jesus Christ with, with each other. And so that is just, that's the one-to-one challenge. Four tracks a month. Read one book. Take one class and start developing this one relationship with, with an individual. Now, what I've done personally, and I got this from uh, one of the books actually that's up here. I gave you this thing called a relationship reminder. I'll just talk through it really quickly with you and uh, let, you, let you be done. But I, I struggle sometimes trying to remember what, when was their birthday. Or, I'm not good with dates. My mother-in-law is fabulous with dates. I am not good with dates. She knows, she knows all the dates. So this is just, I call it my cheat sheet. I just, you know, I'm going to write down, I have my relationships that I'm building. And I, and I write down different things as I learn about them. It gives me things to ask. So do you have, you know, what's your family like? Do you have brothers, sisters? Do you have children? Do you not? You know, you can ask about their occupation. Uh, what hobbies, what interests do they have? It just gives you a little guideline. Now, please don't do this. Don't walk up to them with a checklist and go, hi, my name is Art and you're about, okay, great. You know, people, keep, people can sniff out very quickly if they're just our project, okay? We need to be about building genuine friendships with them, with the then long-term goal. One of the things I really liked was uh, where it talks about times of stress or times of joy. When you, when you start finding out, if you find out that, you know, she's a widow and you find out that her husband passed in June, what a great time to minister during that time. But I'll forget that because it's not in my initial bank of knowledge. But if I have it written down and say, okay, June, June 14th, her husband passed away last year. That's a great time for me to connect, to write a card, to be a ministry to that individual, to show that I care. So those are just little things that, that have helped me to, to be able to share, share the gospel a little bit. So as we, as we look at Questions that may come up. What if I need, what if I already have a relationship with someone? Do I need to start another? That's up to you. If you already have begun a relationship, then go with that individual. If you don't have anybody, start praying that God will add somebody or you start looking for somebody. What if we miss something or forget to do something in the whole sheet? Have we just failed and we're done? No. First of all, if you failed, that means you're trying to do it. And I'm excited for that. That's great. Secondly, it means that you just do what the just man does. They fall, they get back up and they start again and just keep going. Go forward. Go forward with it. What's the regular purpose of connecting on a regular basis? Connecting should be more than a simple hi or a post and says, hey, thinking about you. It needs to be that genuine opportunity where you're going to take time with your at least one individual 
where you could, it could be a card standing at the fence, all those things that we've talked about. Look to connect personally with them. We can do this. This is what God calls us to be, to be doing. Can I choose your own prayer partner? I alluded to that already. You can. If you don't have one, you can uh, ask us. We'll, we'll get somebody uh, yoked up with you. How many people? It's up to you. <laughs> but at least one. And you may, if, what happens if God brings somebody else into your life? You're, I'm building the relationship with Bob, but Steve comes by. And all of a sudden I develop, well, God must know that I can handle another relationship. Keep building those relationships. Don't look and say, sorry, Steve, I've got Bob. You're not my relationship. He's my only one. Take that opportunity and invest in those individuals. What if God brings someone into your life? You feel burdened about it? Go for it. Adam, do that. Let yourself be stretched. We can, we can radically change the culture of our church, and I believe the culture of Lebanon, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we begin, as a body of believers, start to invest in other people. We start building relationships with the intention of sharing the conversation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talked about the relationship reminders. Can this work? I'll, I'll read it quickly, and I will wrap it up. The, uh, this guy, this gentleman writes... He says, this chapter will be nothing surprising for mathematicians, pathologists, or rabbits. Anything that can reproduce itself at incredibly rates of, incredible rates of speed uh, really fast, understand this. The reality is that we can change a culture. If there's a bit of incredulous eye-rolling as you think about moving a culture, this chapter offers more explanation. People might grant that in, an individual can change a life. But we all understand that it can be done. So he, what he does is he talks about he says, uh, let's imagine a person was able to lead 100 people to Christ every day. In one year, he will have led 36,500 people to Christ. Impressive to say the least. Compare this with the average guy who only leads one person to the Lord that same year. Imagine, however, that instead of moving on to lead another person to the Lord, he disciples that new convert. He connects the scripture of, uh, to his disciple's life so that the disciple learned how to wisely lead another person to Christ. This resulted in both the discipler and the disciple, each leading another person to Christ in year two. So in year two, our evangelist has now led 73,000 converts to Jesus Christ, and our, disciples is, our discipler is one of four converts. Four people doesn't seem very impressive. But it just happens to be God's favorite working environment. Those four people are each doing two things. They are reaching another unbeliever with the gospel, and they are teaching that convert to follow Christ. This is reproductive. It is compounding. It is viral. It is culturally impacting multiplication, and it's powerful. How powerful? By year 20, the disciples not only match the number of converts the evangelist has reached, they fly past it. Each year after that, their number keeps doubling. Don't forget, this assumes the evangelist has unwavering stamina. This also assumes that the disciples are not only discipling, it only assumes that they're discipling one a year, could be more. Many could probably do more. So the question then becomes, what's the best way? God's plan is for us to be investing one-to-one to invest in them, to disciple them, to see them grow, for them to do the same thing. 
it's much more manageable when we think about investing in one than how, how do we lead the entire world to Christ. Christ asks us to disciple one, to invest in one, to lead one. And we can do that. If you're interested in doing that, as you start thinking about it, you don't have to turn the card in tonight, but there's a blue card that was in that little pack. And you say, Pastor Art, I would like you as a staff, this staff to pray for us. Here's the person I want to be building a relationship with. Put your name down. Write the relationship down. Who that person you're trying to lead and win to Christ this year. Write them down. And then if you, maybe you're going to say, I'll find my own prayer partner. That's fine. I would really encourage, find your prayer partner in this church. Because this is our responsibility. Make Make your prayer partner here. And if you don't have a prayer partner, you say, I would like a prayer partner, go ahead and check that off and, and drop it in. You can drop it in the office. You can give it to me personally. You can drop it wherever. We'll find them. I guess if you drop them anywhere, we'll find them. But let's be involved. Let's be involved in reaching out one-to-one and watch how God uses his program that he designs to build his church. Do you realize in a crowd this size, even, even if... of us were able to lead someone to Christ this year. That'd be 22 people, new believers. And what could happen next year? And the year after that, we've got to stop buying into the lie that this is impossible. We can do it. Not through our own power, not through our own strength, but through God and through his plan and through prayer and asking him and begging him to give us the opportunities to make disciples and fulfill what he has called us to do, to go out, to make disciples and win people to Jesus Christ.